Scripture reading today from the Hebrew Bible is from first chapter of Exodus. It's most of the first chapter and a little of the second. It sounds like this. 
Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, where they will increase. In the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built supply cities, Pithom and Ramses, for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tax on, tasks on the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all tasks that they imposed on them. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Puah, When you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a boy, kill it. But if it is a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and became strong. And because the midwives feared God, God gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all God's people, Every boy that is born to the Hebrews you shall throw into the Nile, but you shall let every girl live. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a Levite woman. And the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine baby, she hid him three months. And when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and plastered it with bitumen and pitch. And she put it... She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the bank of the river. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her attendants walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to bring it. And when she opened it, she saw the child. He was crying and she took pity on him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Yes. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child and nurse it for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed it. And when the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she took him as her son. She named him Moses, 
because she said, I drew him out of the water. And then we turn today to a crucial passage in the 16th chapter of Matthew, where we look at the 13th, starting at the 13th verse. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then Jesus sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. am I? And what am I here for? It seems in this text in the middle of Matthew that we have a moment when Jesus has paused to think about his own identity. We've been doing a little bit of thinking about this as a church, the session particularly wants to do some visioning and figure out where we want to go. You know, I've been here five years, and when I came five years ago, they had some very specific things they wanted done. They wanted the building used. They wanted us to be more involved with children. They want us to be more involved in the community. We've done some of those things. But the question is, what now? Who are we, and where are we going? It's interesting that even Jesus has to stop and make those considerations, isn't it? Now Jesus says first, who do people say that I am? If Jesus were saying that today, we'd say he's checking what's trending What what does TikTok say about me? Let's check on Facebook and see just what it has to tell. Well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're one of the great prophets. Maybe Jeremiah. Maybe Isaiah. Maybe Elijah. But then Jesus turns to those who have been intimate friends of him for three years and says, but who do you say that I am? What's your word on this? 
What others say may be very different from what you think and say, and in, case, and in this case it seems to be the truth, because Peter turns and says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Important that he adds the word living God there, not just any God, not just a stone statue that somebody might worship, but the living God, the one who created the universe and is still involved in creating our vision and our sense of who we are and where we go. You are the living God, the Messiah. And Jesus pats Peter on the back. Good job, Peter. That's what you should say. In this verse, but you know, in, in two paragraphs, he's going to say, Jesus is going to say to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Because he's going to so screw up who Jesus is and what his mission is that Jesus actually gets angry. It's hard to set a mission and a vision. And they think he might be the Messiah, but he's not the Messiah they've planned on. These people have been taxed beyond all means. They are burdened in ways that we can barely imagine. They live with Roman oppressors around them all the time, and they were convinced that the Messiah would come and free them from all of that nonsense. Jesus doesn't carry a sword. Jesus, at this point, has barely had any any interaction with the Romans. How is he going to be our Messiah? But Peter gets a different picture. He understands something that perhaps others don't. That the Messiah is the one who will save all mankind, humankind, but the way that the Messiah will do it is not a way that anybody has ever expected. The Messiah is the one who will save us from our sin. It's maybe fair to say that the Messiah is the one who will save us from ourselves. The Messiah is the one who shows us God's very heart. God desires for us to be connected to God. God desires for us to live freely and without the burden of our sin. God desires for us to be able to forgive as we are forgiven. Who am I? You're the Messiah. Son of the living God, the ones who shows us the heart of God. I've been talking this month with several people who will say things to me like, I understand, but I just can't get there. 
I find that fascinating. Why is it that grace is so hard for us to accept? Jesus, who showed us the very heart of God, shows us what grace is. All we have to do is say yes. And yet it's so difficult. I have a friend who is a really great woman, and I think she was a really great mother to her children, especially when they were young. And she used to say to them, you know, the refrigerator in their house was covered with pictures and all kinds of artwork and all the stuff that, of the kids that you put on a refrigerator. And she'd tell the kids, you know, this is, this is where your stuff goes. This is where we can say, you know, this is your picture. This is, this is our family. This is, we're the people who love each other here. But she also would say to them, if they'd say to her, Mom, do you love me? She'd say, I'd love you even if you'd turn the refrigerator upside down. Isn't that great? It's like the most radical thing a a kid can think about, turning the refrigerator upside down. And I'd love you even if you turned the refrigerator upside down. When her kids got older, her daughter did something that her son was, thought was unforgivable. She actually got pregnant out of wedlock, and he could not deal with it. By the way, he's, he works for NCIS, literally. So that show that you see on TV, there are actual people who do that. Um... But he could not forgive his sister for her offense. And his mother tried to work with him on this, and it finally dawned on him when she said, Do you remember when you were little and I used to say to you, I'd love you even if you turned the refrigerator upside down? And he said, Well, yes. And she said, Well, your sister's turned the refrigerator upside down. And now it's our time to love her. Friends, Jesus loves you even if you turn the refrigerator upside down. Do you know that your photograph is on God's refrigerator? I don't know what to say to those of you who say to me, I just can't get there, other than to say, get there. Grace is just waiting for you to say yes. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, the one who is still so involved in your life that he has counted the hairs on your head knows everything about you. No matter how good or how bad, and yet still keeps your picture on the refrigerator. Thanks be to God. Amen.